You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I am here with a very special guest, Dr. Sasha McKenzie. You may, if you don't recognize that name, you will by the end of this because he's one of the front runners or if not the main guy doing research on the biomechanics of the golf swing. And so a lot of the information that he's, he's researching has helped tour pros and amateur golfers to improve club head speed and to improve mechanics and efficiency in the swing so that they can play better golf. So what a perfect guest for us today. And a little bit about him. He's a professor at St. Francis Xavier University up in Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, he's got a couple of courses, one that's come in the works with uh, Mark Blackburn and called Forces Force Factor. He can explain a little bit more of what that's going to cover. And he's got another one, Forces in Motion, uh, with Bill Cheatham. And mainly we got him on today because we wanted to talk about the Stack System, which is a new product that he's, he's developed uh, with. Uh, Marty Jerdson. Jerdy. I was like, Jerdy's the last name. I couldn't remember the first name. Yeah. Uh, thank you there. So. Thank you, Sasha, for coming on, and welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. So I, I always ask everybody, what, what piqued your interest in golf or what got you into golf? Um, well, I just really enjoyed it growing up. Um, I grew up in Prince Edward Island, Canada, and it was uh, $100 for a junior membership and an extra 30 uh, got you a range membership. So I would, uh, spend most of my days, you know, my mom would drop me off. My dad would pick me up. So spent a lot of time on the golf course. Um, love math and physics and probably, uh, you know, there's math and physics in every sport, but golf seems to really dovetail with that nicely and ended up doing my, my PhD on, um, customizing, uh, shaft stiffness to an individual swing. So that's kind of like, Start to the start, I guess, of, uh, of my career. Yeah, awesome. So I wanted to start off talking about the stack system. And it's a product that you, you guys recently released within the last few weeks, if I'm not mistaken, or last month or so. Yeah, yeah, I guess our website, website went live February 1st, um, kind, of a, kind of a soft launch. We thought we'd, um, uh, you know, see what kind of interest there is out there, um, do some pre-orders, and uh, it's been been um well received yeah 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 i've seen a lot of people talking about it and and seen a lot of a lot of interesting points to it and so that's kind of what i want to go with is you know there's a handful of us swing speed products out there so kind of what makes the stack system different um i guess uh what makes it different is the uh there's, there's a lot of things um i guess it has 30 weight options. So with one stick, um, we've got five um, different plates you can put on the end. There's a, a 20, 45, 60, 75, and 100. And with those five plates, you can uh, come up with 30 different combinations to swing all the way from, from really, really light to, to, to quite heavy. Um, and so that right away kind of separates it. One thing you have to carry around with a tiny little... Uh, kit with those weights in it um and the other major thing is uh it also comes with an app um which comes with customized programs and the programming changes um as as you adapt um so so that that's physically i guess what you can see that's different but philosophically it's uh it's quite different as well and that's uh, kind of based on my own um my own training as a track and field athlete, um, and as a coach. Um, so even though we, we manipulate 
weight with um, what we call variable inertia speed training. Inertia is just a fancy term that kind of just means mass, but, but with the stack, it also encompasses moment of inertia in the, in the center of mass location. So we're varying those three things. Um, so even though it seems like, yeah, we're, we're manipulating weight, it's not like lifting weights where you go into the gym and as you get stronger, you lift more weight and, and, you, and you adapt. With, with speed training, it's very much about trying to manipulate speed. We want to have the golfer moving at slightly higher and slightly slower speeds, but still making a golf swing-like motion. Um, and we get at those speeds by varying the mass. The mass is just an indirect way to do it. Um, so you and I might have the same club head speed, Jeremy, but um, the training programs would have us swinging different masses. Um, so just like uh, when I was in competing in track and field in university, I was about uh, you know 180 pounds um, when I was training. But there would be I was a, a multi-event athlete. There would be a, it was a guy much bigger than me, training partners, 220 pounds, six foot four, 220 pound guy. Coach would want us both um, running at a certain percentage of our maximum. So if we were towing a sled, um, he would have different weight in his sled than I would have in my sled. Cause we're trying to target that, 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 that certain percentage of speed. Same when we did over speed training, we would uh, partner up with someone. It was a very simple approach. We'd take some, um, elastic tubing, you know, it could be like 50 feet of elastic tube and I'd wrap it around my waist. I'm at the start line. My partner would wrap it around their waist they would walk out putting tension on the tube that was going to pull us along faster than we could normally run. But we would calibrate it so that, um, you know, my partner would not be out nearly as far down the track as my, uh, the, the guy that I was racing against, the guy that weighed 220 pounds, he'd have a lot more force pulling him. Then, you know, when we get, all right, ready, go. Not only would we start running on the line, but so would the people that had stretched the tubes out. Right. And the right. idea was to make sure we're getting to a certain percentage of our, of our running speed. So, um, the, the tension in the tube was just a way to get there. So it wasn't about trying to make sure we all have the same load. This philosophically, I guess how we're different is, is we, we need to know the speed you're swinging those masses at. Okay. Very cool. And so I guess that brings up the question is, I assume the app app has these algorithms to, to establish, you know, where to start with, with the weights and whatnot, or is there a, I assume there's like an assessment process to kind of figure out where that appropriate starting point is. Yeah, that's right. So um, I've been doing research for probably five or six years specifically on swinging clubs of, of different weights. Um, and, you know, there was some initial stuff out there with, with baseball. Baseball is probably the closest. Some published research out there, uh, you know, some stuff by uh, a guy named Coop Durian. And um, so there was some starting points on where to go. But basically, I started out really simple. Okay, let's, um, let's do these initial experiments. Let's uh, have a group swinging with a weight that has them at 90% of their maximum velocity. And that's all they're going to do is swing heavy. Someone's going to be at 92, another group of 10 to 12. Another group's going to be at... 95 and then we'll have a group that's lighter right so that was kind of like six years ago and you start to see patterns of okay everybody gets faster you know if no one's done um any speed training and that's usually who you start off with with these uh experimental studies um because you want to measure an effect um so then you start to narrow in hmm, looks like you can swing something that's too heavy or something that's too light and you don't see as much improvement you know some groups improve by one mile per hour some groups improve by six miles per hour and then within those groups, you notice that, wow, there are some people that respond differently. Um, some people, why did this person gain 11 and this person only gained five? So then you start to look at the, the characteristics of, of how they started. How, how fast were they already swinging heavy stuff? How fast were they already swinging light stuff? How old were they? Um, and, and then, so you, you kind of take note of that and then you know, five years ago, then it becomes a little bit more refined. Okay, well, we can kind of stop looking at the super heavy stuff. And now we can start looking at, well, how many reps and sets? Um, how much rest? Um, how should we, you know, and then as the years went on, okay, how should we order this? Should there be a, a, a day that's entirely heavy? Should there be a day that has some, uh, some heavy and some light? Well, now that we've, and then as you know, we get kind of closer to today, well, what happens if we 
if we take some of these people that we think will respond to this type of training um, and we give them that type of training, but then we give the same type of responder training that we think is going to be bad. And is it bad for them? Do they actually not improve? Um, whereas other people respond to this type of training. Um, so we kind of got it, you know, more and more refined to the point now where uh, the way the app works is you do um, a baseline test where we have you swing a, a variety of weights of the stacks from very light to very heavy. And we also have you do some single arm, lead arm only, trail arm only. Um, and we get what's called what we call a, a force velocity profile, right? So, hey, if we load it on, we kind of have a weight that we load on there that's going to be very similar to your driver. And we note how fast you swing that. And then, hey, are you the type of person that swings light stuff pretty fast relative to your driver speed? Or do you swing heavy stuff pretty fast relative to driver speed? This is kind of simplifying it. But then that's going to push you into a certain type of, of program initially. Um, and then we also want to know, well, how is your lead arm or trail arm a limiting factor? Um, what's your age? What's your current speed? Um, and then we ask a few simple intake questions. It takes about a minute. Questions like, hey, do you feel like um, your driver is kind of heavy and controls you in the swing? Or do you feel like your driver's really light and you're under complete control on a scale of one to five? Um, uh, and then, you know, another question would be, hey, for your level of muscular strength, do you think you swing pretty fast or do you kind of swing pretty slow for your level of muscular strength? Um, and a couple of questions on mobility and flexibility. And so these algorithms then take in this information based on all the data that we've collected over the past five or six years and pushes you into a, uh, a recommended program. Um, and these programs are, are weighted. The algorithm spits them out and it'll say, hey, we recommend right now that this program has the highest probability um, to increase your, your club head speed. Um, but you can still choose. You know, we'll strongly recommend. So um, at the start, we put, because uh, we don't really know people's backgrounds in speed training, we have one program that seems to work really well for most people most of the time. We call it the foundation. So most people get pushed into that um, the first time they go into the app. Um, but what, what's really awesome is that let's say you and I, we see me, maybe you're a bit younger than me, but let's say that we have very similar profiles, very similar baseline testing. We both get pushed into the foundation. Well, within a workout, um, that first workout might be the same, but then the next workout, you and I are swinging different weights because we've, we've adjusted based on how we performed in that first session. So, just like how uh, if you and I went into the gym and uh, a trainer was like, all right, you know, um, got you and Jeremy, you're working out together. Uh, let's do some testing. Kind of looks like you guys should be at the same weight, but we get down to do bench press and I crank out six with 80 for flat, you know, dumbbell bench press. And that's what the range he wants us to work out in six reps. You crank out eight. So he goes, all right, well, next workout, you're not using eighties anymore. You're jumped up to 85s. I'm maybe yeah. still in the eighties. Um, and so uh, also as your, uh, it, it, um, we keep track of the load, the, the, you know, the amount of fatigue or how well you're recovering. Um, and so if, if, if your speed start to drop, then that gets reflected in the subsequent workout. So there's a, a relatively short time lag in terms of how we adjust to make sure that that, that, that training program on that day is going to be optimal for you. Yes. Yeah, so it's truly, truly, I, individualized then from, from that standpoint, even on each session, whereas maybe some of the other products is, hey, this is the, the protocol and you run through the protocol no matter how you did on the previous one. Yeah, that's right. And so that, you know, it's really kind of stems out of my own, um, uh, <laughs> my own, uh, I guess, want for what I use to train tour players. Um, I would be dealing with spreadsheets and, um, you know, have these complicated formulas in there to adjust, but I'm still kind of tracking them. And, um, you know, I want to show them graphs of how their speed's progressing, but now that's all in the, in the app, which is awesome. And so as a coach, well, yeah, exactly. Um, saves a ton of time and, um, uh, it's, it's, the app's neat. You don't have to, when you're entering the speeds, um, you just talk it in. So, uh, I swing, I take a look at the radar. I say 91. The app's like swing one was 91. After your set's over, in between swings, it shows you a timer. So, um, and if you choose to swing a bit earlier, um, that's all right. We note in the app 
maybe we recommended 20 seconds rest, but you only took 15. That's recorded in the apps. So we know what your rest was. Okay. We know what your rest was between sets. Um, and we know what your rest is between workouts. We recommend all those things. Um, but we, we leave, leave you a little wiggle room. But if you get too far off the recovery and the rest, then that's going to uh, influence what we call your grit score. Um, so, uh, for example, uh, you get hundred percent grit. If you're anywhere between 15 and 25 seconds of rest between reps for one particular program, let's say, um, and same, if you're somewhere between two and two and a half minutes of rest between sets gives you hundred percent grit. And if you're somewhere between two and four days, you get hundred percent grit for your, um, in between sessions. But um, that, that, if that grit score starts to drop, then you're um, probably not making the most use of the program. Um, you're, you're, the, the, the ability of you to continually load you know, your body and stimulate your body is not going to be optimal. So you, you shouldn't expect to see gains. But there's that number that's... And as a coach, I don't need to go in and dig into all the reps and rest. I can just look at that, that grit score that pops up on the front page and be like, hey, you know what? Um, if you're going to take five days off between workouts all the time, uh, you're don't expect to see gains. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. There's a lot of things to, uh, we'll touch on here. Um, first I wanted to touch on the, you mentioned doing single arm. So with the trail arm and the lead arm, um, yeah. I guess where, where, where does some of that research come into that, where you're, you're noting speed on both of those arms? Yeah. Well, the, I guess this came about, um, kind of anecdotally initially where, um, uh, I had an injury to my, my trail arm. I played one arm golf for a whole season. Um, I dislocated my elbow, um, pretty, it was pretty rough shape for a while, but I still played with my, with my lead arm. Um, but as you know, as a physiotherapist, folks coming back from ACL injury, they get cleared to play, but they're still favoring the non ACL leg. Um, they kind of, that, that leg just dominates and it, really only shows up. It can hide it until you're like, all right, do the specific cut. And you're like, wow, you're still really deficient. Well, with the golf swing, we've got two hands on the club. So it's really easy to, to hide. Um, and I struggled to, to get my club head speed back up. I was, you know, comfortably low one twenties, um, uh, before I was injured and, you know, it was, uh, I was marginally faster after I came back with two hands versus one, you know, I was swinging one hand, 100, 100, 102, somewhere around there with just my right hand on the club, my lead hand, I'm a lefty. Um, and then, you know, I kind of got it back up to like 106, maybe 108 with two hands in the club. And I was like, something's not adding up here. So um, my trail arm was basically just coming along for the ride, you know. <laughs> so then I started, um, uh, this would have been a long time ago now, six, six or seven years ago, this, some of the tour players were, I was like, well, let's just, you know, see if this is maybe it's just me, maybe this is actually a real thing. So I started testing and there was a couple of tour players where, um, you know, they were, you can't really compete on tour at 108 anymore, um, miles per hour. Maybe you could have uh, 15 years ago, but certainly not, not helping your strokes gain. So, Hey, look, let's, um, let's see how fast you can swing just a naked driver shaft lead arm only 130, 132, 133. All right, well, let's go trail arm only. 106, 107. So it's like, well, if you can't even move, you know, you got a hundred gram object here, um, you know, drivers say 320, you can't even move it as fast as you want to move your driver. Well, it's just slowing you down. Um, yeah. So it, it came, became pretty clear to me that, that that's going to be a limiting factor. Um, and it's, it's more about um, the way we work those, those, those uh, trail and lead arm programs. We call them the lead arm enhancer, trail arm enhancer you still do two-handed swings, but there's a focus mostly on tempo swings with, it's about coordination. It's about retraining. You still have the muscles there. You're just not comfortable activating them or for whatever reason, you're just not firing them right. So it's about, let's just do some tempo stuff, some 80% stuff, some 85% stuff, just kind of waking them up a little bit, um, re-engaging them in the swing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's why we do those, that lead and trail arm stuff in the baseline. And I will, you know, a note of caution is that um, it, it takes a certain, even though we're really, really light, 100 and, you know, 180 grams um, with the, the single arm conditions, um, you know, so we're, you know, not much beyond a tennis racket, yeah. um, but still 
some people aren't comfortable doing one arm stuff, you know, so we got a disclaimer in there saying, Hey, look, if you got some shoulder issues, you're not comfortable, you can skip these. It's no problem at all. Um, and then there's also, I have a little video in the app that explains, Hey, big issues that people got to keep the torso rotating. Um, so that, that, that kind of, we gradually slow down the momentum in the club. Um, but they're there and, and it can be an important, uh, thing to look at for certain golfers. You know, it makes me think of the, uh, what's the, the potato sack races, right? Where each person puts a leg in and if one person's moving faster than the other, there's going to be a problem. And I could see that yeah. same thing with the arms where if one's not moving the way it's just going to, yeah, the other one has to slow down. Yeah. Otherwise, I like that. That's a good analogy. I like that. Um, that, that's the, what I thought in my head is, you know, everybody's done a potato sack race with somebody else and it always goes bad because of that reason. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. cool. Uh, so next, next thing you kind of, you, you mentioned was age differences. Have we seen a different response between, with regards to ages? Uh, yeah. And age is um, it's probably not so much age. Age is probably a variable that indicates some other stuff, but um we're, you know, it's an app. Um, we're not dealing with these people personally. We're not doing a full screen. Um, I do not know where your flexibility issues are, but what age does in- indicate is a probability that you will have these things with your swing. You know, like you're probably going to have, if you're a 65 year old versus a 20 year old will probably, um, have mobility issues. Right. Um, and, um, it, there, there certainly seem to be, um, uh, in my research that some older, uh, individuals, um, had slightly more benefit from, uh, training programs that were on the heavier side of things. Um, they still needed light swings. Um, but those, uh, individuals in 60 to 70 seemed to get a lot of benefit from swinging clubs that were, that, you know, required a little bit more force, um, that, that they wanted a little bit more feeling like they owned their driver, you know, that their driver's really light. And they got that from um, having programs that focus a little bit more on heavier weights. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's more than just uh, to it than, than just the age component, but the things that accompany typically accompany age. That's uh, right. So, so if you put in, you were 70, but you're Tom Watson, um, you know, and, you, and you're like, oh, like one of the questions is, um, hey, uh, do, do you feel like your mobility limits your backswing or do you feel really supple and you have no problem making a full turn on a scale of one to five? Well, if you put five in there, but, you know, hey, I'm super supple, but you've said you're, you know, 70. Well, then that's going to wash out the age factor, right? Age is uh, all, the way the algorithms work, all that intake information. You can think of it as um, kind of slider bars, like you picture like the you know, the sound mixer in the booth. Right. Right. And, and so all these slider bars kind of push you in certain directions, but some, you know, push harder than others. Right. Okay. And so that brings up the question of um, like differences between, I guess, training level, right. Those that have maybe done uh, more, a little more speed training or maybe even, um, you know, level of play, you know, a tour tour person would respond differently than, than your club club level golfer, I would think, right? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting one. I think, um, so I'm working with uh, a McKenzie Tour player. Um, his name's Eric Banks. Um, we started, uh, he, he played for the Gators. Um, actually, we've had some really fun conversations about concession uh, the last couple of yeah. days because he played there quite a lot. Um, anyway, uh, so he was um, swinging about 113 miles per hour. So we went through, you know, a really good division one program um, was, you know, trying to make it, this is his lit, this is what he's doing. Um, so, you know, concerted effort every day to, to swing fast um, knows the value of that. Um, in the spring, he was 113. Um, and we, 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 we went into the gym. He seemed plenty strong to me. Um, so I, I'm a very, cons- I take things very conservatively instead of like, let's just do everything. Well, Hey, look, you're, you're, we're progressing forward. Let's, let's just introduce things slowly. So I'm like, let, you know, I put him on a stretching program, just a simple static stretching program, just to kind of maintain his, his, his flexibility and mobility. Um, nothing crazy. Um, and the speed training program with the stack. And, you know, we got four miles per hour after the first run of foundation. It's like, well, do we mix it up? Mm, he's kind of liking it. So we just did another foundation and that's the way the algorithms pushed him. Hey, you should do another foundation. 
and we get another four or five miles per hour. So he's, he's, he's now, he's, he, he did three uh, foundations. Um, the last time we tested him, um, just before Christmas, he was, uh, average club speed was 127 in the lab. So he went from 113 to 127, uh, cruising with the driver. Um, and his drivers went from being, uh, you know, something that maybe was holding the rest of his game back to certainly the right now, it seems like when we, we use, uh, uh, Mark Brody strokes gained app, um, his, his drive is off the tees, always positive, you know, uh, and now he's onto a different program. He's trying out the neural drive. Um, but he's, you know, he's testing out around one thirty. Um, so, uh, but there's a guy. So the, the question was, um, you know, I would have guessed he probably would not have seen that many increases. Here's a guy swinging his club yeah. his entire life um athletic fit uh went through four years of uh div one college golf um but just saw massive increases so that might be an anomaly um but <laughs> you know um it says that there, there's certainly potential out there for really uh trained athletes and i think it, it what it comes down to is the fact that um if you aren't stimulating those things that are going to help you increase club head speed doesn't matter how many reps you do um you won't adapt um yeah so you know i look at um let's say you're we, we can simplify things there's lots of things that make the golf swing complicated but if i'm trying to make I, I like to go back to track and field because it's so cut and dry right the things are simple it's time it's distance it's height what you know um and, and there's you know uh, very little that goes into the performance um you're either faster or you're not usually so um, if you have someone who is always running the hundred meters at 90% of their potential, they just go out and run 14 second, hundred meters all the time, all the time. And then every once in a while, like, all right, let's do a max one. Every three months you test their max speed. No, still the same. It's going to be faster a little bit, right. Than, than what they're, you know, they're 14 second, but if all they do is train at 14 second hundreds, they're never going to move the needle. It doesn't matter how many, like, wow, this, look at this guy. He's out there on the track every day. He must do hundred reps a day but it's at that slightly sub-maximum level. Well, that's, that's the average golfer, right? They get up in the tee and yeah, you, you might, a tour player might hit 500 balls a day, but it's, it's never stimulating that part of the system. that's going to help them increase speed. So all of a sudden that, that, you know, that's where I put Eric in the category of not that he was doing anything wrong, right? I'm just saying, just yeah. explaining the facts of the scenario. So all of a sudden, if you took those hundred meter sprinters and you said, all right, you know what, let's just do a few reps full out here. Let's see what happens. Boom. All of a sudden their system has to adapt and they're going to get faster. Um, and, and that's just, you know, it's a very common training principle that, that we need to tap into in, in golf. Um, so yeah. And, and to, you know, you didn't ask the question, but to be honest, um, I do, I, if you were training for four years with, um, the stack, uh, I, I don't know what training program I put you on right now. I, you know, and you've kind of maxed out that research hasn't been done. I have theories and that's what we would go yeah. on. So we would have in the app, there's things based on my best guess on what should happen. Um, but what's really awesome about the app is that um, we're constantly running experiments within the app, right? So we have uh, that profile information. We have how well you adhere to your workout and we have the outcome, you know, for Jeremy, um, when he did the workout this way, how much did he increase clubhead speed? And so, you know, as we start to get three, four, five, 10, 20,000 users, um, we're going to continually refine those algorithms. And, and it, at this point, it's kind of potentially hands off for me. You know, it's um, right. my, my, a year of my PhD thesis focused on um, uh, programming my own genetic algorithm. So artificial intelligence, um, uh, it was to see, you know, the best way for a golfer to activate their muscles to swing a golf club with the sport dynamics model. But uh, you know, I could kind of come back to this app in five years and kind of be like, Hey, I wonder what the app decided to do for this person's training program. And it may be something that I never would have thought of, you know? Um, but it's like, Hey, we got, the app is just making these recommendations based off the data it sees, you know? So for this person, this is the program we recommend, you know, here's the the pattern of heavy and light. Here's the rest. Here's the, you know? Um, so it's just looking at the data and uh, doesn't have the uh, personal bias to it. It just, pumps out yeah yeah, yeah. so you know and it knows to throw out hey look this person 
this person's data, um, they there's inconsistencies, right? So it's really easy for the algorithms to be like, well, this guy, his last three workouts, he was averaging, you know, 110. Now it says 125. W- wait a second. Well, you know, maybe that something happened, maybe, but you know what? We'll probably just won't include that in the analysis, right? Or look, this person's grit score is really low. They were had like five days between workouts for six consecutive workouts. They didn't really increase their speed. Well, we're not going to use that in the analysis because they didn't adhere to the program. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So a few quick questions just about that. So what's some of the um, biggest myths regarding improving the club head speed that you, you find with most golfers? Um, biggest myths. Um, I guess uh, from, <clears throat> let gravity do the work, I guess, is one that I hear. I don't know how big, but I still hear it. Um, I think folks like um, uh, Tony Finnell, it's changing now. I used to have a lot of friction uh, when I would say that, uh, you know, a guy like John Rahm or Tony Finnell, they're not um, good examples for how to swing a club head fast. They're great examples for uh, how to swing a club head kind of fast. (laughs) Um, So I would say, look, longer hand path, you know, um, the more you can rotate, the bigger angle you can rotate the club through. Um, those are the things that are going to determine club head speed. And some would say, well, look, John, Ron, and Tony Finno are swinging 122 miles per hour and they've got, you know, the That's shortest weeks. hand paths in the world. I'm like, yeah, but 122 is not fast. 155 miles per hour. Now that's fast. Now, you know, and, and since I've, you know, I had these presentations and conversations with folks, Tony Finno has taken some swings on, uh, you know, put them on social media where he takes a full cut at it. And, oh, look, there's 133, you know. Um, but if if I could swing a 122 with a three-quarter wedge swing like he does, yes, yeah, sign me up. Same with yeah. John Rahm. I mean, it's, it's, it's um, uh, you know, it, it's certainly something I would suggest they, they move away from. But if they had to carry it 340, uh, then you'd probably see them increase their hand path length, um, increase the amount they're moving that club in the downswing. Um, that's, I guess that's a myth is that the, you know, the, the f- physics around club at speed are, are fairly solid. Um, in my opinion, um, yeah, uh, that, um, a myth, uh, you know, that, that, that swinging, um, you know, something like the stack, um, really hard, um, can throw off your, your regular swing. Uh, I think, you know, that's, that's, I've have yet to see any evidence of that at all. Um, uh, in fact, I've seen lots of evidence where it improves mechanics, um, especially among high handicap players. So when folks would come into the lab, you know, number of summers, it was just nonstop people coming in, every swing's recorded. We've got a lab assistant there who's kind of coaching them along, um, and, uh, we would use the flight scope and it reports, you can do dry swings in the flight scope without a ball. And it shows you also your swing plane. So a lot of these high handicappers, um, have a, uh, in to out move. And so we, we would say, Hey, look, um, while you're trying to crank up that speed, you know, you're trying to swing as fast as you can. It's okay to fall off balance here. Let's make sure we have that, that path moving out to the right, right? Let's see that horizontal swing plane number be, be positive, you know, 12, 14 to the, to the left. And then, okay. Yeah. And all of a sudden now they're like, well, it's a lot easier for me to hit the, hit the draw. Um, I never had anybody come in over the years and say that their driving's um, performance has gone down. Everybody said that it's, it's gotten better. Um, And I think it's, it's still important to dissociate. Look, we're, we're playing swing stick fast in the lab or in the training, we're not playing uh, golf. So you can work on those gross movement patterns that are going to help you generate speed. Um, but we're not really concerned about a face angle, you know, that, that stuff you still have to translate to the golf course uh, to, to, with an actual ball, but I don't see anybody having trouble doing that. I think you, if you build in more capacity to move something fast, if you all of a sudden could start swinging in the lab at 120, then when you go to the course, swing at 112, seems really easy. It seems way more, you know, to be able to control that, um, um, it seems easier. Um, so that's definitely a myth. Um, uh, I could, you know, potentially I could see if you start doing crazy stuff, you could have some bad mechanics in there, right? If you were like, Hey, I'm going to, I don't know, uh, really increase grip tension or something, but because with our, with our system, you're always getting the feedback of the speed. Yeah. Usually the things that make a bad swing don't end up with higher speed. You know, uh, so 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that would be one of the biggest myths is that, you know, using that stuff's going to hurt your full swing. It's kind of like saying going and working on your bunker shot where you crazy open your stance and open the face now ruins your bump and run. I can't bump and run. Now I was practicing my <laughs> bunker shots too much. It's like, well, I don't know about that. Different skills, right? You're, you're working different yeah. things and no, yeah, I agree. And you know, part of me thinks with that increased speed, you're more comfortable at that speed. So then when you go to perform your swing, you're not likely swinging out of your shoes. So you're going to feel more comfortable. I think I heard Tony Finau talk about it where he's like 80% of his speed on, yeah. on, on swing. So he's more comfortable having that con- control or whatever there. So I think the same thing you mentioned with the, the track runners, you know, you're getting you uncomfortable being pulled forward with that elastic band with your partner running that, yeah. that made you uncomfortable because you're going so fast, but your feet were trying to keep up. And then when you're running normal, you're like, Oh, this is easy. I feel like I can go even faster because I'm in more control that way. I've, I've had that experience. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. Another good analogy, Jeremy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it certainly does feel like you're slightly out of control. Um, even if you're only running that, that hundred another second faster, it feels like you're, but yeah, then all of a sudden you, when you're under your own volition, um, Absolutely. You feel more under control. Yeah. I remember uh, in high school, we had some, some track runners that would run like basketball shoes for like mm. practice days. And then they put their, put their your track shoes on and they're like, Oh, I feel so fast. Woo. Yeah. And, yeah. So that's, that's my experience in track where you're like, Oh, speed training that way, I guess. Right. Uh, um, so let's talk, dive into just a little bit of the basics there with, with some speed training. Like how often should it be done? What kind of, you know, typical rep, rep ranges maybe. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm all about uh, minimal dose until people um, start not seeing improvements. Um, then, you know, so if, if, if the first program, the foundation program people recommend, uh, I would be surprised if you don't increase your speed. But if you don't increase it that much, then the next program you get recommended will be a little bit heavier in terms of the volume. So we can talk about the the foundation. Um, You know, a typical workout takes about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, Looking at doing about uh, 24 swings. Um, And so 20 seconds rest between swings, two to three minutes between sets. So three sets of eight. Um, And... um, it's the, the recommendation is that you can do it every two days. Um, so if you went Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's great. But uh, it would also be, you know, I, I, I would say that you have the option too. we have it in the app where it says, Hey, look, you can take up to five days between workouts. Um, you just want to limit the number of times you do that. So the foundation programs, 18 sessions and, uh, you know, what I would consider somewhat optimal would be, Hey, if you went Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you went Monday, Friday, you missed the Wednesday. Um, that's totally cool. You just want to avoid that, um, too many weeks back to back. Right. So if you went Monday, Friday, then the next week, you'd probably want to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, also totally fine to do just Tuesday, Thursday, right. Um, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, every week. Um, so you're going, um, two days between the Tuesday, Thursday workout, and then a little bit longer between the Thursday, Tuesday, no problem. Um, so the work, the, the, the foundation could take between, uh, six to eight weeks. Um, and so it's flexible like that. Um, and you know, it's, 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 if you're, if you're still super serious, um, you know, it's helpful to have someone guide you along if you have other workouts, right? So we provide, you know, recommendations. Um, let's say you are doing other weight workouts, right? Or you're playing in tournament golf. Well, then uh, it, it takes a little bit more considerations to when you're going to fit those, those workouts in. Um, like I know uh, there's guys on tour that will go into the gym and like Brooks Kepka has no problem lifting heavy, heavy weights to, you know, close to fatigue and then go out and shoots minus six. I would never do that. I could never do that. So for him, if he was to do this speed workout before playing, it would be no problem. Right. Um, you know, it, you should never uh, feel fatigued. There's lots of rest. This is more like, and this may not help most people, but it's more like a plyometric workout, right? So after you do plyos, you shouldn't feel like, oh, I'm fatigued. I've got a burn. Um, yeah, you might be perspiring a little bit, but it's, it's about 
um, taxing the body at, at a higher level, but it, the intensity is up there, but it's not about fatiguing. It's not an endurance workout. Um, so it shouldn't take that long. It's, I, I get some questions about, you know, from, from trainers, um, and this is maybe more advanced, but Hey, well, how do you taper undulate during a week? Well, my experience, uh, maybe there's some folks out there that do that, but I, I do not believe in tapering plyos, you know, so your, your overall program might have some undulations in it where, Hey, Wednesday, things are kind of, um, volumes less, and then you kind of ramp it up over a week or two weeks, but, uh, within a certain type of workout, like speed training, the, the, the patterns over the course of we have, four, so the foundation is four phases and the programming changes over those four phases but it doesn't undulate within a phase. Um, so it's not like one workout's higher, one workout's lower. What takes care of that is your performance. So if you had a really slow club head speed day on Monday, then the app will note that, know that. And on Wednesday, you won't be swinging the same weights. Um, um, so maybe that's a little bit more advanced, but um, you, you can't really do, in, in my opinion, there's lots of ways to train. But I don't uh, necessarily um, ascribe to plyos having um, undulations in the pattern that you work. It's like, well, there's no point in doing ply. Like, I would never consider um, rope jumping plyos, right? You're going to go skip some rope. Well, it's not really the intent, my intent of what you would do with plyos, where you're trying to maximize your jumping ability, right? right? It's, skipping rope is more like a warm up. So it's not like you'd ever do a stack workout where everything's submaximal. It's like, well, what's the point, right? Uh, you probably might as well just go hit balls. <laughs> Again, the, the intent there needs to be gain speed. And so you got to swing as fast as you can. Yeah. So if you're, if you're not, if you're like, Hey, I'm supposed to, it's Wednesday. I'm supposed to work out. And you're like, Poof, I'm just not feeling it. Like I I'm tight. My neck's tight. I, I feel low energy. Yeah, great. You, you just worked out on Monday. You don't have to work out on Wednesday. Wait till Thursday. Um, and then pick it up again next week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Right. So there's, there's flexibility there. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, let's see here. There was one other one. Oh, and so then after going through one of these, these, um, programs, whether it's the foundation or one of the other ones that the app recommends, you know, how long do you see that these, these gains are, are maintained or how long do they, are they lasting before you like kind of have to, you know, focus on it again? Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Um, so tracked enough golfers where some, um, you know, probably takes about two months. Um, if, if there's been no change in mechanics that are sustained, some people make meaningful swing changes to their mechanics. They figure it out through trial and error or through some coaching, you know, like, Hey, here's a swing thought. And that stays with them, right? They, they realize that their grip tension was way too high. They realize that they weren't starting with their lower body first. Those stay. Um, but let's say you've got, um, a golfer that all the changers were kind of neuromuscular uh, in terms of um, neuromuscular performance, right? The output from that system, not necessarily the mechanics. Um, within two weeks, you'll probably start to see mile per hour here kind of dropping. And, you know, after three months, you're probably back to where you started, um, potentially. Uh, that's just the way the world works, you know? Right. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, there's with the stack, if you wanted to, if you were a really competitive golfer or you're like, Hey, look, I'm fine playing at 110 miles per hour. So you train, you know, let's say you end the season at 104, um, and you train all winter to get back to 110. you gradually lose it over the summer. That's fine. That's, you know, um, I w we've got a little option in the app to do what we call, um, priming speed priming. And it's this real quick eight minute workout that kind of is designed to, either act as a warm up, like a speed potentiation thing, or as just a, uh, a quick kind of feel good workout to kind of keep that speed maintained longer. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it'll go away. Right. Yeah. That's, that's with everything, right. If you stop lifting weights, you're going to get, you're going to get weaker essentially and, and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. um, so how often do you recommend, you know, let's say you do the foundations and you're like, okay, I just want to maintain this speed. How often does like you need to be doing that primer in order to kind of maintain that speed? Yeah, it would depend on um, the level you're at, but uh, you know, um, and I don't have a gr I don't have a lot of great data on this other than with a few players who've done it, and you know, if, if they continue to do that that um, as they're playing, um, if they continue to do that three times a week, 
um, then there really hasn't been, I could say no measurable drop over two months, but I haven't tracked it further than that. Cause then they started the program again, or uh, I'm no longer in touch yeah, with okay. them. Um, yeah, but it's enough. It's just that not enough stimulus to kind of, to kind of keep it going. I haven't seen anybody continue to improve. Um, and that's the kind of the point of it is that, um, uh, you'll never get sore. It won't affect, you know, your round. It's really quick. Um, um, but yeah, it's tough to, tough to make, uh, necessarily make gains on that. Um, yeah. All right. So I've got a few, uh, what I call the mulligan round, which is just quick questions. Just going to, uh, fast first thought answers. Uh, you get to skip one. That's why I call it the mulligan round. Oh, okay. So, I like that breakfast ball. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, a lot of them pretty simple, easy questions. First one, what's the top mulligan. seed? Okay. <laughs> that was an easy one. <laughs> okay. Um, top speed you've seen ever? Um, Kyle Berkshire. Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, well, what I, when, was it one fifty four? Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Uh, favorite club in your bag? Mm, probably my Ping Glide three point oh fifty eight. All right. Uh, What's the, what's the biggest gain you've seen a player make? Uh, that'd be Eric, um, 113 to, well, one, you know, 127 is the last time I tested him. So that's, yeah. Awesome. Uh, favorite player? Uh, Brooke Henderson. Uh, Tiger or Jack? Who's the greatest? Uh, Tiger. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you a, a morning golfer or an evening golfer? I'm a morning golfer, but I play better in the, in the late afternoon or evening. Do sweeper, but <laughs> recognize yeah, exactly. the, the improved uh, game. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite golf memory? Uh, uh, probably it won my uh, club championship uh, last summer. So that was uh, we had awesome. uh, three hole, three hole uh, play up. I thought I won in uh, regulation. I was in the final group, but then, um, there was a young kid, um, who, uh, was four under on the back, um, was, uh, you know, a couple of groups ahead. So I thought I'd won, but then I didn't, we had to go to a three all sudden death playoff. So <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah. Uh, what's the best way for somebody to start learning a little bit about biomechanics? Um, probably, uh, follow me on, Twitter, I guess. <laughs> Biomechanics is tough. It, it, it's such a broad subject. You know, if you have to be really, really motivated to put, pick out a biomechanics textbook and be like, right, I'm going to learn this to apply it to golf. Um, right. So uh, I'd like to think what I've done is, is kind of taken out the, the key principles that apply to golf and, and try to cut through everything to, to say, all right, look, this is what we need to know about this principle to apply to golf. And it's still it's not easy. You're still going to need a coffee and invest some time um, and bit of mental anguish. Um, but I, I like to think that I would be the, uh, some of my materials, the best resource biased. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's all good. What's uh, an exercise or a drill that you use to improve your personal game? Well, I swing the stack. <laughs> yeah, that's to, before I had a before I had a stack. It was these uh, uh, prototypes from the. Uh, you know, no doubt that if I was trying to get to one forty, I would be in the hitting the gym a lot harder. I work out, you know, twice a week. Um, do just you know, I do call what I call feel good weight workouts. Um, and I stretch a little bit, but the biggest bang for your buck is doing uh, speed tr- training. You know, it's like, Hey, I want to get faster running, uh, where I am right now. I just need to go out and run. I need to sprint. I, I would I don't need to do weights. I don't need to do, I just need to run faster than I'm normally running right now. Um, and yeah, the, you know, using something like the stacks that the, be, the best way to do that. Um, uh, yeah, it's just the most efficient way. Um, I mean, there's probably some people out there who are, uh, might benefit more from stretching, I guess, cause they're crazy tight. Um, but I'd, the, I'd put them in just a heavier stack program, help them increase their range of motion just by swinging something a little bit heavier and feeling, uh, feeling that, that, that that weight pulls them into a bigger stretch in the backswing. That's kind of cheating. What else would I have done to – did you say improve my club head speed? I said improve your personal game. So whatever you, you enjoy doing to make you just play better. 
Oh, um, I, oh, okay. Well, and I've created some of my own, um, combines. Um, I think that, uh, most players, this is coming from a biomechanist. Most players need to work on practicing better, not, um, making a better swing. Uh, one question I got from online is the thoughts on stack and tilt. Um, yeah, you know, I guess I, I, I probably, sh you know, shouldn't speak too much about something you don't know a whole lot about only what I've seen on the, the internet. Um, um, uh, so I don't know, they, they, uh, they have a large following. There seem to have some people that, um, play better golf. Um, yeah. Um, I guess from a speed perspective, from what I do know, and I could be wrong, um, that, um, maybe staying more centered, maybe moving more left might, um, inhibit a little bit of, of speed development, but they make an argument that it could improve your contact. So, uh, there's no point in having higher club head speed with, um, without higher ball speed. And if your contact suffers, um, so yeah, I don't know, not, not much to comment on. There's some pretty vague thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So before we, uh, we wrap up today, let us know where people can follow you and, and be, learn more about what you, what you're doing. Um, Twitter's probably the best spot. I put a lots of uh, what I think are some neat free stuff, Sasha McKenzie at Twitter. Um, and uh, I've got a, a course, uh, with Phil Cheatham. Um, he's, um, the co-developer TPI 3d, um, I think he's the chief scientific advisor. I may have that term wrong for the U S Olympic committee right now. So super smart guy. Um, uh, check out, uh, check out our stack on Instagram. Um, our, uh, social media person is, uh, has got some, it's just grooving tunes. So just listen to go through the reels, got some good tunes on the, the stack and learn a little bit about, about it. You go to stacksystem.com. Um, I've got a, uh, working on a project with Mark Blackburn right now called uh, force factory where I'm going to, uh, it's going to be all about ground reaction forces. And I'm going to supply the uh, scientific background and content and stuff that people will skip through. Um, and then, uh, Mark's going to supply the application to, uh, to players in training and the tour players that he works with. So keep an eye out for, uh, for force factory. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Sasha, for coming on. We'll have that information in the show notes, you guys, so you can check it out there. Uh, thank you so much for listening and thank you for coming on, Sasha. Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. That was, that was fun. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource for Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.